Hi, this is Wayne Zell, and you're listening and watching Blueprint for Wealth, a podcast videocast that's designed to help you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. And I can't think of a better guest to have to talk about accomplishing your dreams of wealth and freedom. And that's Chris Voss, who, you know, for some reason, he agreed to appear on our little peony podcast. Welcome, Chris. Welcome to Blueprint for Wealth. Oh, thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate coming. And you have a great podcast. I've seen thank it and listened to it. I have your I, book, I, too. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, today we're going to talk about you today because there's a lot to talk about. I, I, I was just astonished by some of the statistics I was reading. For example, you, you know, he's Chris's uh, podcast, which has been on for, I don't know, over 15, 15 years, years, close to 16 years now, right? Yeah, I'm tired of it. <laughs> is ranked in the top 1% of all podcasts worldwide, what? which means that it's, you know, in the top 27,000 out of 2.7 million podcasts that are out there. And that's pretty freaking amazing. So he's a Forbes top 50 social media influencer. He's all over Twitter. He's all over every social media outlet that you can imagine. And on YouTube, he's got over 53 million video minutes watched <laughs> on almost 4,500 videos. So it's, to me, it's mind boggling to learn how to market. You go to Chris Voss and listen to his podcast, but also if you can somehow get him to listen to you, you want to talk to this guy because he knows more about business and marketing than, you know, any 15 people I can name. You're really involved in business ownership too. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you start out, and get into all this stuff? Uh, how did I start out and get into business? Yeah, being an uh, entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the for the intro though as well, and and some of those accolades. I'm I'm kind of I, I may need a coffee or pick me up after that because that sounds tiring. Fifteen years of, of this. It's one of those things where you you start and then you wake up one day and go, what am I even doing? And <laughs> then, and I'm going to ask for a raise. So uh, thank you. I'm gonna <laughs> well, you'll have to my, give yourself one. I'm going to call my union and find out what the hell's going on. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, the story is told in my book, Beacons of Leadership, uh, plug, uh, guilty plug. And uh, uh, basically, I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. When I grew up, it was the it was the great brick and mortar era of business. Um, and being an entrepreneur meant you had to spend a lot of money to build something and put it forth and then build it and hope that it came. You know, nowadays you can just pay 20 bucks and you got a website on GoDaddy and you're open for business. Yeah. Um, and so I was just a young kid who had long rocker hair. I lived in Salt, I lived in Utah, uh, actually the same uh, city that uh, Footloose was filmed in with the same storyline of the oppressive religion and oh my you, know, you can't dance and have any fun. And, um, uh, and, and, you know, so I was a rocker. I, I wore a lot of, uh, rock concert t-shirts, not because I, well, my family was fairly poor. Um, and that was, about the only, I get, I got like two pairs of pants, two shirts or something from Sears, you know, those awful shirts. And that was it. And so I, um, at 18, I was working McDonald's and uh, I had this long hair and the satanic t-shirts of Van Halen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, cause we all know, uh, clearly Van Halen worships the devil and I don't know, uh, you, you pick your band. Um, love Van Halen. Love, yeah, love and, Wolfie too. Yeah. And, and clearly, you know, they're, they're doing sacrifices on their stage every night and stuff back then, <laughs> whatever. But, you know, just anybody with long hair and had that rocker t-shirt sort of thing was of the devil in this community. And so one of the managers, uh, at McDonald's took a shine to me about having me having long hair in these 
satanic t-shirts and uh and i was just a dumb kid and probably still am and he uh he wanted me to cut my hair and he you know he's like why are you always gonna wear those shirts and you know cut your hair you know and you know, when you're a kid when you're young you know and for a lot of people that's their identity their hair uh i've you know most of us are losing our identity at this point me um but uh you know uh, at least we got the beards going so we got that to make up you for got it. the beard rocking i, I, I definitely i'm, I'm working that. on it i'm working it on good. it <clears throat> working on that viking sort of beard yeah um the uh and so at 18 i uh he took the shine to me and i i i uh, was making i don't know 335 an hour is that what it was back then <laughs> before i know going what and uh so he wanted me to cut my hair and so this is one of my first times where i i, I had to deal with some oppression and working around it and getting outside of the box and I took in, uh, I went to the, I, at first I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do? Do I got to cut this hair? Do I want this stupid job? Whatever. You know, I'm just a kid. And then I realized that women have long hair. Duh. And so I went to the women in McDonald's and I said, Hey, what are you doing about that long hair thing? Cause, uh, you know, this boss one, and they're like, Hey, we got these hair nets. You go buy them for a couple bucks and you wear them up. So I started wearing them up in my hat and he couldn't tell. Right. And so he came along and he was so happy that he, you know, he basically neutered me. Or, your life. Yeah. yeah. Just ruined me. Taking my <laughs> thing away. He was so proud of himself as a bully. You know, that's cause that's what he was. He was a bully. Yeah. And so I got away with it for about a month. And then one day he caught me taking my hair out of my hairnet and realized that, you know, I, I'd won and he fired me. So I came home. And for all of my summers growing up, my father had a subcontracting stucco business and I'd learned how to trowel and do all the things. You know, my mom back in the day was like, get the hell out of the house, go play with your father, go to work on the summers and get out of my hair. You know, she loved me. Um, but so I learned the business side of it. I didn't learn the sales and the money side of it, although I did learn collecting and there's some great stories in the book about that. But uh, uh, I knew the business. And, uh, but I never sold. I was just some shy in, introverted kid. And so I came home and, and I go, Hey, dad, I'm fired. And he goes, what are you going to do? Cause you're not going to sit around here. You know, this is, uh, back in the day. And, uh, I says, I don't know, man. I don't know. And he, I was supposed to go to college and he, he says, uh, why don't you just my old business, the stucco business, all the wheelbarrows and the cement stuff and all the trials and stuff are in the backyard in the storage shed. Uh, you know, he left the business behind. He goes, why don't you go get all that stuff? He goes, you can use my account at the old builder supply. I'm sure it's still working, you know, and huh. you can go buy the cement. You know what to do. Why don't you just go do it? And so I'm he like, was out of the business. He was out of the business. Yeah. I didn't take over his company. Huh. Um, it was gone. He had no clients. Uh, there was, he, he'd been out of it for five or six years and all this stuff was just junk in his storage unit. My dad was a hoarder, so he kept everything. And he had, he still had his account, thankfully, at the Economy Builder Supply. Okay. Uh, it was like 500 bucks so I could go buy, you know, the basics to get started. But then I had to learn to sell. So I had to go out. I'm this young 18-year-old thin kid who looks stupid and goofy and whatever. And I'm out meeting with these very, you know, uh, very tough sailor type construction guys, you know. And uh, they're sitting me looking at me down going, who the hell are you? And. And uh, I sold them. And I said, basically, hey, look, I know this business. And they're like, yeah, whatever, kid. And I'm like, yeah, I grew up. I know this business. So I'll do you a deal. I'll do the, I'll do, I'll do, give me a house. I'll go do it. Okay. And if it's not done right, you don't like the job, you don't have to pay me. 
Wow. And they're like, and if you tell contractors you don't have to pay somebody, that's like gold. They'll right? do that anytime. So like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll try that. Yeah, let, <laughs> let this let this monkey boy go out and do that. So I did it, and people were like, holy shit, this guy knows his chops. And I built a business and clientele out of it, learned to sell. So uh, that's how I got into being an entrepreneur. It was, it, I, I didn't even think about being an entrepreneur until like, I don't know, a decade later, years later, like, oh, I started a business. <laughs> did you ever go to college? No. In fact, I was supposed to, I was lined up because my parents were pe poor with a Pell Grant to go to University of Utah. Yep. And suddenly I went um, from making 335 an hour to 18 grand a year with my little company in 1987, 1986, 89, 88, something like that. Okay. And so I thought it was rich. Um, <laughs> and then the beautiful part of the story that I tell in my book is three months later or two months later, I go back to that guy who fired me at McDonald's. And I shake his hand and not in any sort of meanness, but I shake his hand. I said, you've changed my life. Thank you so much for being an asshole because I make now $18,000 a month and you're still making three thirty-five here, but you've changed my life. And what I really didn't realize, he really had changed my life in that moment, or I had, I guess we did it together. So part of the challenge of being an entrepreneur is not just learning how to sell and doing your job mm -hmm. well, but then accumulating people around you that can do the job well for you so that you don't have to do it all yourself. How did that work mm -hmm. out? How did you recruit and build your workforce? Well, with that company, um, we I, I just pretty much did it by myself. Okay. I skipped out of college. I canceled the Pell Grant, and I had to make a choice. Do I want to do this or do something else? And, uh, well, the business was, you know, what it was. Uh, I found out the hard way that you're supposed to save up for uh, winter in Utah because uh, uh, it's a little hard to get that cemented dry in winter. Yeah. And, uh, so I had to go find other ways to means to support myself and do business. And I fell out of love with the thing. And then it became this journey where once you have that drug, you have to constantly try and get it back. And, okay. you know, that's the entrepreneur bug. So I tried several iterations and, uh, of starting my own little companies and retail and trying to find something that wasn't so blue collar. And I eventually uh, met up with a friend, went through several, worked with several CEOs and was an entrepreneur at the companies. And then finally found a friend who wanted to start a business and we launched it and it hit. It was a home runner. What do you so mean entrepreneur? What do you mean by that? The final companies I worked for, uh, I had one CEO who saw the potential in me. And he elevated me to a level of being in what we called an entrepreneur, where I was like a CEO junior for him. And I would be able to walk around the company and be able to look at all of our operations and go, why do we do things this way? You know, it's the same thing everyone talks about. Why do we do things this way? And people go, I don't know. We always did it this way. <laughs> and you're like, well, this is stupid. Whoever designed this was probably, you know, half smart at the time, but there's always a way to constantly be improving. And so uh, he gave me the last, as I talk about in the book, the last of my CEO training, the last few keys that I needed to be an entrepreneur. He was incredibly innovative, uh, brilliant mind, psychotic mastermind. Um, uh, uh, but I learned a lot from him. And How long uh, were you doing that? How long did you do that? Work for um, him? See, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, about a year and a half, year. In the meantime, I was trying all my little side hustles and stuff. And, and finally, uh, it came time where he goes, I said, I went to him and I said, look, I really want to give a shot at this business. Uh, but I'm letting you know that my nights and my evenings and some of my attention is going to be on this focus. And I, I'm just being honorable to you and let you know that. 
And he said to me, he goes, he goes, Hey, look, man, you keep doing all this side business. You're, you're always working on trying to create your next thing. He goes, you're like me. I know where you're going. He goes, I'm going to give you a uh, two months salary. Okay. Two months salary, which is like, I think it was like $2,000 a month back then. And uh, he goes, I'm going to give you two months salary to go get this out of your system. But here's the deal. At the end of two months, if this thing it doesn't kick ass, you have to come back and you have to work for me. No more side projects. No more little entrepreneur stuff. You just come work for me. And that's it. I don't want to hear about side projects anymore. Um, but if this works, he goes, we actually need your company to come help us uh, because we, we have someone hired that does the same thing. Uh, and uh, we might end up hiring you. But and if it works, then good for you, uh, because I think that's really where you're going. You're so never what kind of side hustles you. were you doing on the side while you were working with this guy? Uh, lots of retail stuff, like trying to buy things and selling to retail stores, wholesale retail things. Um, God, there's a whole mess of little business cards I still have. Um, there was like, uh, you know, we were always just trying to hustle something and uh, trying to come up with some business idea. At one point, we we bought a little boat uh, and we're trying to make some money doing boat tours and stuff. I mean, anything, anything and everything to get that drug back to being a successful business. And Probably you saw you had a boat and you were doing boat tours? We're trying, it was an idea. It was a stupid <laughs> idea. It was just a dumb fucking idea. You know, half the, half the, half the lakes are, are iced over, but we got this incredible, that, that's a story in itself, but we got this incredible deal on a boat that had sunk and we raised it and it was crazy. I mean, it um, says in your, in your resume, it says you've been in the mortgage industry, real estate, stock markets, investing, retailing, computers, clothing lines, talent agencies, <laughs> courier. I mean, good Lord, what haven't you done? What would you say was the one that was the most successful for you and why? I started a career company with my friend and I had that little stipend of the two months and we had some money saved up Yeah, and we started uh, this courier company and delivering packages just like FedEx or UPS only more on a local scale. And that hit and became so successful. Um, it was profitable in the first four months, three to four months. And we made our initial money back and a lot of it was sweat equity. And then a year and a half later, I started the mortgage company because we were working for a lot of mortgage companies. And I wanted to be in the white collar business. I did not want to be in blue collar. Blue collar is nice, but it takes a beating on your body. And I said yeah. to my business partner, I go, I don't want to, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 40 or 50. This is, it's hard enough. That was my first yeah. job was what well, first job was washing dishes. Second job was working on a construction site, digging out holes and carrying hods of bricks and stuff like that. So I get it. Yeah. I know what you're yeah. talking about. It's tough, man. And and you and I probably wouldn't want to be doing it at our age. But God bless <laughs> those can. men who are yeah. God bless those men who are the salty of the earth, those Viking type dudes who still can. Uh, but, uh, so I started a mortgage company. That was our second business. It was a year and a half after the first, we had two of them going at the same time. I was losing my mind. Uh, that was profitable in three months for our initial thing. And I just started hitting home runs. We started a one hundred line that we bought something out of cause one hundred lines were big for dating. So we bought one of those. Uh, I was just, I'm a tinker and I get bored. So we're just constantly okay. building stuff. But the mortgage company was like the gem jewel in our little empire of stuff for a long time. Okay. And uh, we constantly start little side businesses or we'd have like an employee who's good at something. We'd be like, hey, let's let's give this guy some money and let him play with it. And uh, we had a lot of stuff, things going. And then 2008 came along. I was just going to say, you're in the mortgage business in 2008? 
2008 came along and uh, the empire that we'd built, I mean, everything came to a complete stop. Every business we had just came to a complete and utter stop uh, for a lot of people. And uh, the business, the mortgage business was pretty much wiped out overnight. Um, and so then it was time to find a, a new gig. And the guys and women who took the hit were people like you and other friends of mm -hmm. mine who were in the mortgage industry and not the big players who ended up profiting handsomely from packaging these mortgages and selling them in uh, mm -hmm. awkward ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I look back on that time, time and I don't think the people who really should have paid paid. Um, that's my personal opinion. But so, so you, you got crushed. Mm -hmm. What did you do then? Well, I, I destroyed everything. My identity, I lost pretty much everything. It destroyed uh, all of our business, everything that I built for 20, almost 20 years, thinking, that, okay, this is my retirement package. We got that whole empire thing covered. And uh, so then I had to find something new to do. And uh, I started trying everything. And once again, back to my early days, I tried everything. Like I was, we, you know, I was doing a lot of bank consulting for a little while with banks and, you know, using my mortgage industry stuff, but eventually that just kept collapsing. Sure. And, uh, so I tried that for a while and then I was trying other things. Uh, and I was trying to keep our other businesses kind of still trying to get them to roll, but just everybody, all everybody's, everyone's money went, uh, we're not spending money. And so my friend said to me, he goes, Chris, he goes, you have tried so much stuff. I've watched you try to survive this. He goes, if it came out yesterday in the news that you were an international weapons dealer, he goes, I won't be surprised because you have tried everything. Well, somewhere in there, this little, um, this little thing started popping up on the media called Twitter. And I, I monitor media a lot with my brain. I see consistencies and patterns. And uh, I have this insane ADHD that libraries things. And I thought, what is this Twitter? What is going on? And I've always been fascinated with online sales and stuff. And so I started looking at it. What is this Twitter? And I first got on it in 2008 as a Twitter forward slash Chris Voss. And I saw that, uh, you know, people were talking on there about brand and stuff and building marketing and things. I'm like, I know marketing and how to run a business and sales. I've been doing it for since I was 18. Um, let's, uh, I can, I can do this. And then I started uh, at first, I thought it was stupid because I'm like, why isn't anybody answering me back whenever I say something? This is dumb. This is the dumbest conversation <laughs> I've ever had. And so I quit it for a couple months and then I went back to it. Um, and uh, I started noticing that if I promoted links to my old companies on my website, I would get clicks. And I'm like, hey, I got like 7,000 clicks this month putting out my websites to try and save my mortgage company and everything. And I'm like, so the more I push this button, the more clicks I get and the more potential money I might be able to make. And, uh, I was like, this is a good deal. So I started building a brand within a very short time. I had over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. I was in the top 1000 and I was kind of in this top cache of people on Twitter who really understood the wild west nature, but the importance of what it was and, and possibly the future of uniting the world. And, uh, we were all kind of helping people with Twitter because Twitter was horrible customer service. They, right. they didn't even. They didn't even know what they were doing. They were the clown car that crashed into success. So we were teaching people how to do it. And some guy calls me out of the blue one day as CEO. And he goes, he goes, hey, man, we see that you're kicking ass on this Twitter thing. Uh, we'll pay you to come down and teach us how to do it. I'm like, people pay money for this crap. 
what? And that's when my first consulting gig started. And I started speaking and touring and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, teaching people Twitter and having companies pay me, you know, we start, we were building Twitter accounts. We build Twitter accounts, hundred thousand and sell them. Do you think and, Twitter is still a viable, uh, social media outlet? God, that's a loaded question. Um, I think, yeah, it is. Um, I think it's an important place. I, I believe in having a brand, uh, platform everywhere. Um, you know, it, it, I would never pay for their advertising. Let's put it that way. <laughs> where, where do you go from here? I mean, uh, not, not just you, but anybody who's looking at selling their brand, selling their product, we've got Facebook, we've got LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, Snapchat, blah, 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 Twitter. Um, what's the future? Where do you see, you see patterns? What would you see, say is the future in terms of social media, online media, online advertising, where do you go from here? Uh, it's going to be interesting. AI, I think, is going to have an impact. Uh, Web3 claims to have some sort of impact, but I don't think people get it. Um, it what is Web3, just for the listeners? Web3 is, is, is a basic sort of blockchain-ish sort of format where you own your brand. Instead of being on another platform like Facebook or whatever, Right. Um, you own your own brand, you're paid for your identity and stuff. It's, it's murky in its concepts where people are trying to kind of find an answer to the question, um, and what can scale. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that have different ideas. NFT was supposed to be one of those things. Uh, that's been a complete failure. The metaverse was supposed to be a way where you would have your own brand on the metaverse, yeah. you know, a virtual store, basically yep. a brand. You know, for the most part, I do think it comes down to Web3. People are brand building and everyone is a brand now. Uh, everyone's brand building uh, and people have to think of themselves as marketable brands, which a lot of people do. If you understand what's going on, Instagram, TikTok, everyone's building a brand. This podcast is building your brand of who you are, telling people who you are, identifying your values, your your ethics, your morals, your your you know, everything about you that you want people to know about what your advertising is, your wares, and what you can help people with, et cetera, et cetera. Everything is building a brand. You know, we're all Pillsbury, whatever at this point, you know, uh, Coca-Cola's. Um, mine's just went bad a long time ago. So yeah. <laughs> Would you say the highest impact event in your life was the 2008 crisis? There was probably a time where I would say it was. It's a great question because I lost everything. But out of it came one of the most greatest things that I needed to learn, that it had always been me, that I was the brand, that I was the guy. And that all that stuff, all that things that, you know, a classic line from Fight Club, the things you own end up owning you. Yeah. All that stuff was me. It was Howard Stern losing Jackie Martling as his wingman and thinking that he'd lost his mojo and then realizing that it had always been Howard Stern all along. And that was important to me. It was a painful, incredibly uh, painful lesson, but it was so important and valuable. And now I live in a world where I'm much happier, you know, not having a hundred employees running around, making my life mental, not having bad partners, not having, you know, all that sort of craziness go with it and making as much as I made then. Um, yeah, it's pretty darn nice. Tell us about the book you've been referring to beacons of leadership. First of all, how do people get the book today? 
There you go. You can find it on Amazon uh, or anywhere fine books are sold, as we like to say. I'll, if you don't mind, I'll we've got give more, it a plug more ratings than most people ever sell their books. So, I mean, it, it, it is a very popular book. What do you think Thank makes you. it so popular? Uh, the centerfold. No, I'm just kidding. There's, there's a centerfold of me in it. No, I'm just kidding. I hope there's not. Let me check real quick, make sure that's not. Yeah, that's probably why it has more ratings than it. I don't know. Um, I, I, I think, well, we market the hell out of it. We don't market as much as we should, but we probably should market it. But uh, the, the people love leadership, um, and it's entitled Beacons Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. And um, it's basically some of my uh, favorite stories of my life in building business, uh, some of my thoughts on leadership. One of the things I talked about in the book that's really key is you can see there's a lighthouse on the front. Um, and beacons of leadership, the concept that I had is that as a leader, you're like a beacon up on the hill or the shoreline or you're, you're in a placement of where you broadcast a message of light of positivity, of, of, of everything you want to communicate, really. It's a communicator, if you will. And people look to that. The ships go by or people on the shore that might be your employees, they look to that and they go, hey, what's the signal telling us what's going on and what's the messaging? And so I use the beacons of leadership because uh, people are always inspired by lighthouses and people look to leaders to be inspired, to be motivated, to be emotionally connected to them. Uh, if you really look at today's world, a lot of people are looking for leaders and people to guide them or people to give them advice. Desperately. And desperately, yeah. I mean, sometimes to the point of uh, building your own cults. Um, and so, uh, you know, people, people seek that. Um, people seek that in mating. People look for leaders. I, you know, I'm, I'm 55 and still dating. Uh, people, women, when I date them, they look to me to be a leader as the household, the, the man of the house, the they look to me to lead um, and be the masculine leader. Uh, people, you know, look for, look for leadership. And so I talk about in the book about how anybody can be a leader, whether you're a parent, whether you're a father or your child. There seems to be this misnomer where people believe that you have to have a title of CEO to be a leader. And until then, you're just, I don't know, you're just a follower. But right. no, we can all be leaders. We can be leaders in a podcast like yours. We can be leaders in as a mother and uh, father of a child. We can be leaders. If you're the middle manager, you can be a leader. You can be, you know, you can have something happen in an emergency event, and there are leaders that emerge from it just out of people going, hey, I'm going to take charge and, and save us all. So how do we, how do we as, a, as a public, as a people, find and groom and elect the right leaders going forward? Well, that's really hard. Uh, to me, your electorate uh, in your is a reflection of the people. So, um, if your if your leaders are bad and and they're they're poor leaders, and I wouldn't even call some of the politicians we have in this world leaders. Uh, I I would say they're just paper pushers or they're they're great in front of cameras. But we've got to look towards values of what leaders really are and understand what leadership is. You know, you look at John F. Kennedy's book. Um, Profiles and courage. Profiles and courage. People who, who take risks, who are willing to lead, but people who operate in the moral good for other people, not leaders that are narcissistic, that are out for themselves, right. that are more interested in doing stuff for themselves. People that are interested in doing things for other people and doing things for the country, the people in the country that care about the middle class. Um, you know, uh, giving back like that. Giving, giving back. Yourself. 
Yeah, giving of yourself, not people. How do you that are give of yourself today in addition to all of the great things that you're doing from a business perspective? I think that uh, uh, you had asked me earlier about uh, what was the biggest crisis, I think, in my life or something of that nature, and whether it was mm -hmm. 2008. To me, the biggest crisis was COVID. And it was another moment to, to do the thing. Uh, you know, I had hundreds of speaking engagements lined up. We had all of our shows lined up. I mean, watching in March of 2020, hundreds of thousands of dollars burn as events were canceled was head spinning. But I at least had the tools from 2008 to go, okay, I can do this. And so at that point, we had the podcast for about 10, 13, 12 years, had talked about just, you know, self sort of, self-engaging stuff, self selfish stuff, like the CEO's business and tech stuff and Silicon Valley and, you know, money, money, money. Yeah. And, uh, I was really depressed and a friend on, on Facebook said, here's what you do right now in this moment, you find a, a lifter or you be a lifter. And I, I'm not really a follower and I really didn't want to be a lifter because it sure sounded like it sucked. I'm like, I don't want to be in this miserable hole that I'm in a depression. So yeah. what assets do I have? Where's my point of gratitude? What assets do I have? And I said, uh, I got this podcast that people listen to that I've built, but I'm sick of talking about this stuff that, you know, who cares about the new iPhone? Who cares about Google or whatever the fuck it's doing? How can I make the world better? How can we change the world? How can we improve people's lives? And I've always been a purveyor of everything because I, I track everything and, and I've got a library of everything. So I can talk about just about any given subject um, at least on an amateur level, but I can usually chop with it well. And I, I've read enough news to chop with it well. And so um, I said, you know, I want to talk about whatever Chris Wass wants to talk about. I'm going to talk about everything. So we're going to invite authors on the show for the first time. Now we'd have business authors on the show, but we're going to like, we're going to invite everybody, even novelists, no romance uh, novels though, because <laughs> you know, there's only so many times during a podcast they can say like, so you guys had sex on the beach again? What? <laughs> he took his shirt off again? You know, there's only so much that you can do uh, on the show. Uh, and God bless romance novels. But yeah. uh, uh, it's just, it makes a hard show. And so um, we had all these people on and I'm like, I'm going to have people on that are going to inspire the world that are going to motivate people, that are going to educate people. I'm going to have business people like yourself that are going to be on, that are going to maybe help some of these people that are out of work because of COVID and maybe they're despondent and they need help. They need a lifter. And so I'm going to have people on that. We're going to talk about lifting the world. We're going to talk about stuff that we care about. Uh, you know, everything is, is yep. what we talk about. If you have a book, we're pretty much having you on the Chris Foss show, unless it's something really toxic or really extraordinarily painfully uh, you know, you're one of those ugly politicians who's just writing hate. Um, we'll have you on, uh, and we won't have Hitler on either. Cause you know, there's the book of hate. Um, but, uh, uh, so we've done that. And to me, that's part of what's giving back. Cause, um, I mean, the show isn't like a moneymaker. Uh, you do it to build brand and consulting and speaking gigs and everything else. But uh, to me, that's the real give back is because people can be inspired and hopefully learn. And if it's not, well, I guess we need to work on the show. Well, Chris, uh, I mean, our time's running short, but I really, really am very grateful to have you as a special guest on Blueprint for Wealth. Thanks for, for joining us today. There you go. And I was grateful to have you on my show. People should check out your episode. It was brilliant. And Thank your you. book as well. Your book, I love your book because I should have Thank built you. my companies a long time ago <laughs> to exit. And it's I never didn't. too late. 
it's, it's never it, too late. Well, that's what we're doing now. We're changing the name to the Chris Voss show to the Wayne Zell show. So <laughs> and you're going to lose all your listeners. And you'll no. go from 1% down to the no. bottom. 1%. They'll be like, this guy's way more smart than this idiot we've been listening to for 15 years. I know years. a lot of shit, but that's about it. You know, so look, thank you again. And again, if people want to get in touch with you, is it through the com? Is that the best way to 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 get in touch and find or out? Or my OnlyFans. Yeah. Uh, com, And then you can find the book on Amazon, Beacons of Leadership. Beacons of Leadership. Great book. Mm-hmm. Everybody should read it, and I've downloaded it myself and have started it. I haven't finished it yet, but I will, and then we'll have it back on to talk more about some of the stories in there because I know you've, you've got lots of stories. But again, thank you, and for all of you out there, stay tuned for another special guest and special uh, educational moment on Blueprint for Wealth because who knows who's going to appear on this next show. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Hi, I'm Wayne Zell, and welcome to Blueprint for Wealth, a fast-paced half-hour video cast dedicated to helping you, entrepreneurs, executives, business owners, founders, realize your dreams of wealth and freedom. Blueprint for Wealth is brought to you by Zell Law, a law firm located in Reston, Virginia, and Savannah, Georgia, with clients all across the country. If you'd like to know more about us and our services, Visit us on the web at zellaw.com. Today, we're going to have a special topic, and then we're going to have a special guest. And our first special topic today is continuing the discussion of choice of entity when you're forming a business. And that choice of entity really depends on what you're going to be doing and how you're going to be doing it. Today, we're going to talk about partnerships and how they work. What is a partnership and what kinds of partnerships are there under the various state laws? Well, the most basic example of a partnership is a general partnership. I walk up to you on the street. I, I know you. I shake your hand and I say, partner, let's be partners. Let's go invest in that real estate venture down the street. Or let's go ahead and open up a hot dog stand here on the side of the street And we shake hands and we agree to be partners and then we start operating as a partnership. That's how simple it is to create a general partnership. But watch out for general partnerships. They're really a thing of the past. We don't use them very much today and I'll tell you why in a second. Then there's the limited partnership or LP. In a limited partnership by state law, you almost always have to have one general partner referred to as a GP and one or more limited partners. So in Texas, for example, when we set up entities, we use limited partnerships pretty frequently. We'll have a general partner, and we may have one. We may have 50 limited partners in the limited partnership that we're setting up. There's also something called a limited liability partnership, which became extremely popular in the wake of the Enron debacle that put away one of the greatest accounting firms ever to be on earth, and that was Arthur Anderson and Company. I started my career at Arthur Anderson in 1980, and I was there for a while, and I still maintain contact with some of my former 
colleagues at Arthur Anderson, but it was put out of business because it was essentially a general partnership among all of its partners around the United States and around the world. And several of the partners in the Houston office were involved in the Enron crisis that led to the massive liability and massive failure of Enron, which ultimately led to the demise of the great Arthur Anderson accounting firm. So these LLPs are limited liability partnerships, and they're usually used by professionals, accountants, lawyers, sometimes doctors, although in some states it's not permitted. And the LLP basically says that my liability as a partner professional in that firm is limited to my own negligence and my own torts, my, the, the bad acts that I've committed. But the partnership debts, I may have a pro rata responsibility for based on my ownership of the partnership. But I'm not liable for my partner's malpractice or bad things that they may have done. Then we've got the limited liability, limited partnership, which is also a relatively new creature of statute, and it's not found in all of the states, but it operates somewhat like a limited partnership. However, the key distinction is that you can limit the liability for a general partner in an LLLP if an election is filed and other requirements are met. So let's talk about general partnerships. I mentioned you need to be careful and you need to be cautious if you're forming a general partnership. And a lot of families enter into general partnership arrangements not really understanding what they're getting into. A partner in a general partnership is personally liable for all business debts incurred by the partnership, even if they didn't agree to be liable for it. It basically refers to the concept of joint and several liability, which means that even though you were, say, a 50% partner with your brother or your cousin in a partnership, and your brother or your cousin go out and incur a debt, you're liable for the whole debt if it's in the name of the partnership. Any individual partner in a general partnership generally can bind the entity to a contract or a transaction. So it's risky to get involved in a general partnership. How are partnerships taxed? Well, they're basically pass-through entities, meaning that revenue minus expenses and certain other items, such as credits and charitable deductions, are passed through to the partners on a Schedule K-1 that's attached to the partnership return which is referred to as Form 1065. So usually with many, with very few exceptions, some state law exceptions, partnerships do not pay tax on their income. And as I mentioned, income, deductions, credits, and losses pass through to the owners. But then the question is, can the owners use all of those losses that are passed through to them? There are three basic limitations that we always point to. One is limited to your basis in the partnership, which equals the amounts that you contributed to the partnership, plus whatever debts are allocated to you under the debt allocation rules in the partnership provisions of the tax code. There's also an, a risk known as at-risk. Are you really personally liable for this debt 
that the partnership incurred, and then there are some exceptions to that. If you're not able to satisfy these two limitations, you can't claim the loss, and the loss is suspended and carried forward. In 1986, the Tax Reform Act of 1986 introduced the passive loss rules under Code Section 469 of the Internal Revenue Code, and that further limits your ability to claim losses currently and offset them against other income, like your compensation income that you generate. These passive loss rules are very complex and really would involve an entire separate presentation um, that might be twice as long as this presentation is today. Now let's talk about liability and partnerships. Again, in a general partnership and in a limited partnership, the general partner is personally liable for the debts of the partnership. So in many cases, in virtually all cases that I can think of, you want to have a limited liability entity serving as the general partner or general partners of a general partnership or limited partnership. In that event, you might use a corporation or a limited liability company, or in some cases, you might use what we refer to as an irrevocable trust that could serve as the general partner and limit the liability of the entity uh, to basically the corporate general partner or LLC and not expose your personal assets. Let me give you an example. Your partner, Bill, goes out, signs up with the local bank, takes out a high interest rate loan in the name of the partnership, proves that he's a general partner, and the bank lends him the money without your knowledge or your consent. If the partnership is a general partnership, you're fully liable for the loan. Again, can't emphasize enough, partnerships, sole proprietorships, any business should get commercial insurance, business insurance, errors and omissions insurance, general liability insurance, workers' compensation insurance if you've got employees, umbrella insurance if it's available, and other types of insurance, including cybersecurity risk insurance, which is really important today. And then, of course, you want to enter into a very clearly written partnership agreement. But if I'm in your shoes, I would use an LLLP, a limited liability company, or a corporation if I were operating the business. Partnership agreements are really important to flesh out the liability, governance, and other aspects of running the business. It allows you to allocate profits and losses and cash flow. It allows you to restrict the transfer of the interests. And it deals with such situations as retirement or death or disability or the withdrawal of a partnership. Without an agreement, you're subject to the statute in the state in which you operate. For general partnerships, those statutes are commonly known as the Uniform Partnership Act or the Revised Partnership Act. For, for limited partnerships, it's known as the ULPA or the Uniform Limited Partnership Act or Revised Uniform Limited Partnership Act. In California, for example, these statutes would restrict you from adding a new member or new partner to the partnership without unanimous consent of all of the partners. You may not want to restrict the entity that much. What is it that a partnership cannot do? Well, a partnership cannot avoid personal liability for business debts, even though 
it says that you are limited to the liability that you might have in the partnership if it's a general partnership. And general partners can't limit their liability, but they can certainly seek contribution from other general partners or other partners that they're working with. A partnership agreement also is not allowed to restrict a partner's rights to inspect the books and records of the business. And you cannot limit the rights of third parties in relationship to the partnership. For, for example, if in the example I used before where Bill wanted to enter into this borrowing arrangement with a third party on behalf of the partnership, the third party has apparent authority it knows that Bill has authority, apparent authority, to act on behalf of the partnership. So the partnership agreement can't restrict that third party's right to enter into that agreement with Bill because the third party doesn't know about it. So unless the third party is actually bound to this agreement, they're not bound by your partnership agreement that limits your liability to the partnership and therefore the creditors of the partnership. You also, in a, in a fiduciary situation, you cannot l eliminate or weaken the fiduciary duties that are owed by each partner to the other. The duties of loyalty, the duties of care, the duties of prudence, the duties to administrate the, administer the partner properly, partnership properly. If you've got questions on how to set up a partnership of whatever type, let us know. Give us a call at our phone number at 571-203-ZELL or look, at us, look us up on the web and send us an email at zelllaw.com. I'm Wayne Zell. You've been watching Blueprint for Wealth, the video cast that hopefully is helping you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. Stay tuned for our special guest.